following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. All right, so uh, this morning I wanted to share something with you guys. It's been on my heart for a long time. Um, how many of you have ever said, I'm not worthy or qualified to minister for Jesus? How many of you ever said that? I'd better see some hands because you guys can't do this to me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, uh, exactly, we all do. Um, I And I actually struggled with this this week. I struggled uh, what to write, what to share. All week I had a lot of anxiety about this. So, um, we all struggle with it. But you're in very good company because... Moses did too, and I want to. I want to read um, Exodus four, part of Exodus four, and we're going to read his experience with God when God asked him to uh, go and witness before Pharaoh to uh, release the Israelites. I won't read the entire thing, um, I will start. Well, actually, yeah, I will read the whole thing. Exodus four. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he pulled it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe these, even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither in the past or since you have ever spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And you will speak to him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. And he shall be your mouth. And you shall be God to him. And he shall take your hand. And you shall take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. So our God took away all his excuses. 
to serve because of his, he had a perceived unworthiness. And yes, in his flesh, he was unworthy, but God was not asking for talent, education, or charisma. He just wanted Moses to say, yes, Lord, you're sufficient and I will, and you will empower me to do this great task. But God knows the human heart though and did the doubt dance with him until he was ready to obey. And we all know what that is. They are, are you sure, Lord? Why me? So and so, so and so is better at it than me. Who am I to, to serve and witness for you, Lord? I don't have intelligence. It's a long list and we all, we all have the list. We all use the list fairly regularly. Well, I can say I do. Um, and what was he doing? If you look, it's I, 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 I. I can't do this. I can't do that. I don't know about this. I don't know about that. Um, and God's saying, I'm going to do it for you. you. You just have to show up. You have to be there. You have to be willing. And I'm going to teach you, and I'm going to empower you. And the other thing that he was doing was he was playing the comparison game. And we all do it. Standing up here for me is a comparison game. I have people that, that do this who are excellent at it, and I stand up here and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I got You know, and you listen to, you watch preachers on TV, and you watch this, and you listen to that, and they're all and great teachers, excellent teachers. But it can, it can also backfire when we don't know who we are when we don't believe that God made us to be something special and to do things the way God wanted us to do it. So I want to read, so I want to read what God has said about you. I'm going to open up to Ephesians 4, 17. And I'm going to read that. This is what God says about you. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the light of God because of their ignorance, because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, and at, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So we're a new person. We are created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what your God has to say about you. You're righteous. You're holy. As long as you have your faith in Christ. And he also said, I want to go back to Exodus again. And I want to read Exodus 19.6. Sorry if I'm skipping around a little bit. And you shall become to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He doesn't say you will become or may become. You shall become. You're going to be this for me. So we're going to go up to Peter 2.9, which is, is God saying it all over again. First Peter 2.9. 
This is where this comes from. He's, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So these are things, this is how God's seeing us. Not through our iniquity, our, well, our iniquities, our inadequacies, our weaknesses. He's saying, I'm doing it for you. And now I know that what I'm saying is not an easy thing for any of us. Serving God the way he tells us always, always involves risk, trust, and initial insurity. And we are all at different places in this path. The important thing is not is not perceived is not perceived success, but the willingness to walk the path like Moses or Paul or the person sitting next to you. I would really love to encourage those not on the path of ministry to get on it, and those not on uh, those on it to stay on it. So I put the ideas that I would like to to. Uh, pr- give to you um, into a, a story like I usually do. And while I'm reading, I want you to try to actively listen and relate to the characters and what's happening. Um, it's, it's written in the perspective of someone who's being prepared to serve God. And I'm hoping that parts of it um, will help some of you out there. So I'm going to read that, and then we'll continue on. I'm hoping that uh, as I read this, you'll be able to um, relate to the character, the main character of the story, and uh, understand what he's going through as he's being prepared to serve. The sound of crashing metal and the cheers of the crowd were deafening, and the smell of roasting meat and bread were torturous for a young man who hadn't eaten in hours. You see, this was the final day of the tournament, It was almost too much for the senses of a simple servant. Because this day, but because this day was different from the rest and that it was the only day of the year servants and slaves were allowed to freely move about the town and to watch the knights joust, fence and run the gauntlet. Most of us had no money and many of, and in many of the, but many of the merchants were kind enough to provide us with some scraps and leftovers of the delicious food that they were preparing. But the joust was why we were here. It was what, it was what being a slave, free man, and noble alike had all come to see. The first contestants rode their powerful armored horses into their gates, lances raised and their shields lowered. They were announced as they sat at the ready. And then what seemed after hours, which was actually no more than minutes, they charged. Shields raised, lances lowered. The knights goaded their horses in what seemed an impossible speed to attain on such a large animal. It was a a spectacle almost too frightening to watch. Then a loud metallic bang rang out, and a knight lay knocked unconscious by the blow he'd received, his shield bearer, and servants reached out to make sure the knight was alive. Slowly he arose, removed his helmet, and tipped his head to the winner. And as soon as it began, it was finished. This went on all day, jousting for the spot of the first night. 
Usually there was no prize other than the honor of this position or the hand of a lady. There was many characters of men as there were styles of these, of their armor. But one thing they held in common was a simple, was a simple part of their chivalry. You could not refuse a challenge and have your honor intact. There was one though that appeared to have his own code. He was a secretive warrior and seemed dark. But there was no way to actually know his character. He never spoke or removed his helmet. And the other fact of interest about him was he never lost, ever. He would have been their greatest knight of the realm if he had actually fought for position. He only fought for slaves, though. Yes, the lowliest of slaves and the servants were his prize. You see, he was able to use the knight's coat against them. He would ride over to the noble slaves, touch the slave he wanted, and drop a challenge to the slave owner, and then beat his opponent as if he was playing with a child. This was the one occurrence that cast a shadow on an otherwise festive day. And the only way to escape, being led away in chains, to who knows what fate, was to appeal to the mercy of the king, who was always away during the tournament time. The king didn't enjoy violent sport anyway, and he was usually away on political business. Not that it would help anyway. The law was clear, and the, and the king, being a just man, obeyed and upheld it. Even when his feelings told him otherwise. Myself and the other slaves were beginning to feel a sense of relief and anxiety due to the old ram, who was what they called him, not showing up. They called him, they called him this due to how hard he hit his opponents and his rough appearance. His armor was old, dented and rusty. His lance was shortened due to the breakage, which would other, which would be considered a disadvantage to other knights and his horse unkept and dirty none of which seemed to affect his skill or courage. Nobody knew what he did with the slaves. All we knew was the captives were led away and never seemed to be heard from again. And many dark tales circulated about their fate, everything everything from being sold to druids for sacrifice to being given to dragons for an appeasement were stories told. All we know was unimaginable horrors awaited those he chose. And then it happened. The crowd went silent. The other knights and nobles stopped the tournament and stared into the city gate. Sitting there on his dirty horse in his tarnished, rusty armor sat the old ram, and he rode silently through the crowd to the gates. He surveyed the contestants and the servants, for for he then made his way to those of us and our masters in the north gate. And my heart began to pound in my chest and in my ears. I told myself, there's more than a good chance it won't be me. Just relax. He rode even closer, and I started to sweat, and I couldn't catch my breath. The old ram was standing directly in front of me. It was like my worst nightmare had come true. His lance tip slowly descended to my shoulder and to the small child standing beside me, and I felt numb. I couldn't react because I wasn't sure it was real. Before I regained my senses, he was already prepared to compete. My only chance, against all belief and reason, was that he might finally lose. And I knew it was futile. He never lost, and he didn't lose this time. Before I could even bid farewell to my friends, I was fettered and chained to the dark knight's horse along with the child. I just stood there feeling helpless as a small boy beside me. And I had never really 
thought of death before, but as we started to walk, it became very real to me. I was filled with, I was filled with dread as we walked through the crowd. People's faces were either filled with pity or fear or both. Their faces drained my heart and mind of any hope. We left the SETI gate and then oddly headed down a path disguised with brush and limbs. As we slowly walked down the hidden path, the city disappeared, as did the sounds of the city, and as did my hope. We slowly and silently walked through the places I had never seen. I began to think of the, of the little one and what the dark night w- might need a child for. And the child began to tire, so I helped him the best I could. Then something strange happened. The night stopped, reached down and lifted up the child, chains and all, and placed him at the front of his saddle, allowing him to ride. As simple as it was, I did, no- I did know a noble would never allow a slave or servant to ride his mount, especially with him on it. There was definitely something peculiar, peculiar about what was happening. I just wasn't sure whether I should, I should be more frightened or relieved. All I know this this was very bit unexpected. The old ram led us on until just before sunset, and we came to rest in a small clearing amongst a grove of large beech trees with trails heading in every direction. I thought we were stopping to rest or navigate the trails, but something so unbelievable happened. Even to this day, it still doesn't seem real at times. We just stood there for quite some time. I fully expected someone or some something to appear out of one of the trails to lead us off to a nightmarish fate. But he just sat there looking intently in every direction, almost as, almost as if he were afraid himself. This continued for a good hour by my estimation of the sunset. Somehow my fear was changing to extreme curiosity over this time. What was actually happening? How long would we wait? What was the purpose in all this waiting? My mind was spinning with questions, and my fear continued to melt, not just because of curiosity, but also due to I was starting to accept my fate. As we stood there, the night seemed almost to change before us. Though you couldn't see his face, the very atmosphere around us seemed to lighten. I noticed the way he gently handled the child and allowed me to rest. I thought, these are not the actions of a person who want us to kill us or sell us. But I I wouldn't allow hope to kindle at this point. Then he slowly dismounted and set the young one down next to me. And the fear returned. I couldn't move. The end of the nightmare had finally come. I thought I am going to die anyway, so I will protect the boy if I can. But I knew it was futile. This is the day we die. He was close enough now that I could see his eyes. As intense as they were, I still did not get the menacing feeling I expected. Actually, his look confusingly put me at ease. As slowly and quietly as he dismounted and reached down and released our shackles, strangely, neither of us ran. We just couldn't, for no one, for no perceivable reason other than awe. You see, after the knight released us, he removed his helmet and revealed his true identity. It was the king himself. His gaze was as powerful and commanding as it was a ki- as it was kind and merciful. After just staring into his gaze for some time, I, I regained my senses and dropped to my knees. The child reacted differently, though. He knew the king. 
and the great love he showed the children of the city. So the child just clung tightly to his leg. The child gently placed his um, his gauntleted. The king gently placed his gauntlet hand on the child's head and motioned for me to rise with the other hand. As I rose, I felt hope and relief, for I knew that the king was a good and honest man. Then the king began to speak, explained to me what he had that he had to disguise himself to keep the nobles from using his own laws against him and keep his land from and keep him from freeing slaves. The king also explained all the people he had fought for had been given new start in a different villages at the end of the many trails. He then asked us to sit with him and share in some food and drink with him. He apologized for the harshness of our treatment, but it was the only way to maintain the illusion of what the nobles thought was happening. The king told, then told us he picked the slaves and servants for very specific reasons. We were told we were chosen because I had no family and the boy needed a father. We were then given new clothes and a a substantial amount of gold coins. And the boy and I were told each one of the trails led to a good life if we used the gift wisely. So we thanked him quietly for for how do you adequately give thanks for such a gift. We chose a trail, and as we started down the path, the king stopped us and said, All I ask of you in return is to take some of what I have given you and buy the freedom of another. Then bring them here for a fresh start, as the same as I gave you. Also, don't tell the nobles what happens here, or they will try to end it. I agreed, turned around, and started down the path again. After we walked a short distance, we turned to take a last look, but the king was, was gone, disappeared into the night's mist. The boy and I continued down the path to whatever good life the king had promised. Years passed, and the stories of the night continued. The boy had turned into a young man and aided me with running my own farm and stables, and we had a good life, as the king promised. Then on what seemed to be a normal day, a person I didn't recognize entered my home. He told me the king was having a meeting in the clearing where all this had started. I tried to ask him how he knew of the king, but he quickly disappeared. I summoned the boy and told him of the meeting and that I should be home by morning. And I set off into the clearing. I was excited to see the king, but also nervous. What could he want after all this time? Focusing on the goodness of the king alleviated my fear, but I was still very unsure of what was happening. As I approached the clearing, I saw other men standing in front of the king. I joined them, and the king said nothing but to kneel. And to our amazement, he drew his sword and knighted all who were there and told us to be at the final day of the tournament. We asked why. Did we have to fight? What was he what was going on? The king quieted us and told us all we had to do all we had to do was show up. Everything else had been t- taken care of. Upon this, he returned to the city, and we all returned to our homes. When I entered the house, a young man hurried over to find out what had happened, and I explained to what what the king had said and and done. And he seemed perplexed as I was and more than a little jealous that I had received the knighthood. I explained I would be leaving in a few days for the final day of the tournament and he would be in charge until my return. 
It was a day's ride to the city. So I left in the morning, the day before the final joust, intending to spend the night in the stables. The stables were warm and I was comfortable there. I spent most of the night awake, contemplating what the next day would bring with excitement and trepidation. As the city awakened, I ventured out to look at the place that I had left seemed so long the place I had left so long ago. I began to fear someone might recognize who I was, but even people I knew well didn't have a clue who I was. I couldn't understand why. Had I changed that much? Had they changed that much? Either way, I wasn't recognized, so I felt safe. This allowed me to wander freely, freely through the city, recalling what my life had been like before. The king had sa- before the king had saved me. As I was walking and thinking, I looked up, and the north gate was right in front of me. Emotions overtook me. Fear, uncertainty, dread, and being unworthy rocked me to my knees, and tears flowed from my eyes. I just stayed on my knees for a, for a time. I couldn't stand. A passerby reached down, asking if I was in need of assistance. I thanked them and told them that I would be all right. I arose and stood there looking at the north gate with the feeling, looking at the north gate. The feelings disappeared just as they had been washed away by the tears. The feelings were replaced by calm and confidence. I felt ready for whatever the king had planned. The tournament began. Match after match went on. Noise and cheering echoed through the city. Just as the open tournament was ending and the finals were about to begin, the old ram showed up as he always did, unkept and secretive. As he rode by, our eyes looked, our eyes locked for a moment. This time there was a slight sadness in his eyes though, as he approached the north gate. The marshal put the best knights available against him and they took their places. All went quiet. With the simple drop of a lady's glove, they thundered down the fence. We all expected the same outcome, including his opponent, I think. Just then, I recollected he never picked anyone to fight for. But before I could think much about it, there was, there was a deafening clash. As I, said, I, as, I, as I said, I expected to see the king's opponent laid out. Instead, the old ram lay there with a broken lance stuck through his chest. The crowd, including me, stood in total silence. The shock of what had happened took over the crowd. As I saw the king motionless, a deep pain entered my heart, and the marshal cautiously walked over as as if he still didn't trust the old knight. He slowly leaned over and removed the rusty dented helmet, and the marshal gasped and fell to his knees. Even though I already knew it was the king, my mind didn't want to accept it. It was actually dead. The people realized what was happening, and they began to weep and cry out. And the nobles all fell to their knees. Families held each other tight. Even the children wept for he was the kindest to them. The next day, the next days were a traditional time of mourning for the king. This time was different, though. The people truly mourned. It was not just a ceremony. Though this time I kept, through this time I kept trying to understand what the king knighted me for and gave me instruction, the instructions he had. It was hard to be confused and hurt at the same time. 
But the king's burial would be tomorrow, and I thought I would, it would help bring some closure, and I would move on. The, chil- the church bells rang a sad tone as the choir sang a dirge, and we all followed the procession to the burial ground and watered and watched as our beloved king be put to rest. Then it happened. Almost as soon as the last shovel of dirt was thrown onto the king's grave, the nobles began to argue over who would be king. Which I was, I was, I was one, which I was one of, but I didn't think of myself in that way. You see, the king died with no heir. There was talk of lineage and rightful claims, then threats of war started to be uttered. The promise of power was corrupting their hearts and blinding their minds. As they commo- as the commotion reaches crescendo, crescendo, the bishop stepped forward and silenced the nobles. The bishop was the closest to the king, highly regarded and trusted by him, and they understood he was the steward until the throne was once again filled. He called those of us he knighted forward and awarded us kingship over different parts of the kingdom as he was instructed by the king. The nobles protested harshly by saying we were not of noble birth and we were... We were not qualified by the laws of our land to lead these and lead these kingdoms. And the bishop rebuked them and, inf- and informed them the king himself had knighted us and he had made us noble. Then I spoke up and said, they're right. I'm not fit or trained to reign in a, over a kingdom. The bishop locked into my eyes with a wise and gentle expression and said, the knight taught you all you needed to know to lead this to lead these people by example by the example he set for you then all the things he did and said came to mind the king taught humility by disguising himself as something lowly and, and against his nature for us he did it out of mercy for those he had had no for those who had no hope generosity was shown in the gift of the new beginning in such an extravagant way. The king's selfless death death testified to the great power of sacrifice. And by his great wisdom, he broke the power of the nobles. Above all these things was the powerful love the king had for all his people. Without this love, none none of this would have been possible. All of their other virtues stemmed from this love. The bishop then called us forward and placed a ring with the king's seal on on our right hands. And he told us, now we carry the great king's authority. The ring will prove you are his chosen to your adversaries. I will also be available to you at all times for counsel and and teaching you the king's ways if you so choose to ask and listen. He then commanded us to go and finish the king's work. You have all that which you need. We each took our places over the kingdoms given to us. We all worked hard at first to rule according to the king's example. Over time, though, many stopped going to the bishop for the council. For counsel or leader and led out of their own will and their people suffered greatly for it. And some of us stayed on the path. Though no king or kingdom was without troubles, 
The difference was those of us who went back to the bishop to get the king's counsel were able to get back on the path. It seemed if we just obeyed the very simple yet powerful things the king had taught, we prospered, and it took the great fear of failure away from us. Through all the rising and failings of our kingdom, one thing had always remained unchanged, the story of the great king. His story will be told forever and will always be with us. He will be with us because of it. So I know there was a lot of lead up in that. But the idea behind it is, is we have a great king. We have, uh, and we have a bishop, the Holy Spirit. And we carry the, and we carry the, we carry the ring. We carry everything that God taught us. We have, we have all the scripture. We have everything laid before us that we need. We, he's give, he's pretty much stripped us of all excuse. Um, so please, you've all been giving everything you need to minister. You've received God's mind in the scripture. Jesus' ex- example and the end, indwelling, empowering, and counseling spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who takes all those words and makes them real to us. And allows them to allows us to use them with power. So please start praying and thinking about what it is God has for you and then share it. Holding back from the body what God asks you to do or how God has made you isn't humility, it's fear. And we all know where fear comes from. And the one way we can battle that fear is to list, is to, through, through that Holy Spirit that we have, through the knowledge we have in the scripture, is just to tell Satan no. Just tell him no. I'm not unworthy. I, I know what Jesus did, so I can do that too. I have the Holy Spirit, so I don't have to listen to you. Know the scriptures. Understand what God has written about you. Understand what he expects of you. Um, everything we need to know, Jesus, is in, Jesus has showed us through his example. So even when you stumble in ministry, keep moving. Don't worry about the stumble. It's all part of learning. God wants us to learn as we go. And I said not if you stumble, but when you stumble. You won't get any judgment from any of the elders in this church. And I'll be so bold to say from you won't get any judgment from anyone who is filled with the Spirit of God because they understand what I'm talking about. So keep ministering and growing in the knowledge of what God has for you because He has made you worthy. And I want to read um, Thessalonians, first, uh, Second Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. Okay, Second Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may f- fulfill every z- resolve for good and, ev- and every work of faith by his power 
so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus. So he will make you worthy of his calling. We can't become worthy. All right. This is a good example right here of what I'm talking about. So I'm not going to fight it. I'm going to use it. <laughs> I probably should pick up the Bible. Though. Picture of me and Lisa. But anyway, I want to just encourage everybody to keep you have everything you need. Everything has been given to you. Everything has been laid before you. All you have to do is pick it up, take it, and serve the Lord. And one thing also to remember is none of this is possible without Jesus. You need to come to the Lord first. You need salvation. You need to make the Lord your Jesus your Lord and your Savior. Both. They go hand in hand. There is no just Savior. It's Jesus the Savior and the Lord. And once that that's the very beginning of all of it. So thank you for listening to what I had to say and hopefully uh it helps some people out there. But uh, um, so just remember, keep working and keep uh, keep on the path. Thank you. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890. 